Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to another edition of the Gagan Pod. I've got the All-Star cast joining me as we look forward to the biggest game in world football, probably Man City take on Liverpool. We make a combined 11 and it's some controversial selections as well. Mark Schwartz is back joining us to give his take on Graham Arnold and the FA's decision to stick with him for the next two matches. We react to that World Cup draw as well. And we invite special guest Amy Duggan to talk all things Matildas as we look forward to a home World Cup next year. All that and the biggest storylines from the European game coming up on the Gagan Pod. What's happening, football fans? Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. I've got the all-star cast back once again. Tommy Sorensen, Michael Bridges, and Mark Schwarzer. We also have a very special guest joining us about halfway through the pod, so stay tuned for that one. But we have to kick it off with the Premier League action and the breaking news this morning. Arsenal looking to lock up fourth spot and travel to Selhurst Park and get, Selhurst Park and get absolutely battered 3-0. Bridgie, did we see this one coming? Yes and no. And the reason <laughs> I say that is because obviously Vieira going up against his old club, he wanted to get this one done. Yeah. Um, the way Palace have been playing this season has well been very suitably impressed. And what, what I like is when you see a club change under a manager that comes in and gives them a new style, a new belief. And Vieira's ticked all the boxes on that. And they're not this team that you're expecting just to be in, in around the relegation. And Arsenal start the season terrible, then had a really good run of form. Um, and they are now just looking to try and cement that fourth spot, and they're unable to do so. And the game this morning, Vieira got his tactics absolutely spot on. First half was a, you know, a, 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 the, I thought Palace outplayed them, destroyed them, but second half, Arsenal were right back in this game. Um, you know, Palace went into the defensive unit, and it was that man Zaha that was on the counter attack, got the breakaway goal, and a silly penalty by a touch from Odegaard, and that was game over. So huge result for Vieira, huge result for Palace, and a, and another little question mark around um, Arsenal's mentality. Yeah, well, Arsenal looked like they were going to be favourites for that position. They still have a game in hand, but they slip to their biggest rivals, Tottenham, who now move into fourth spot. They're in some form, scoring goals left, right and centre. Arsenal still do have to play United. They still have to travel to Chelsea. They've got some big games with teams fighting relegation. Leeds, Newcastle and Everton to finish their season. Schwartzy, looking at it now, who are you tipping, Arsenal or Spurs? Because I think it's fair to say Man United have kind of bowed out of this fourth spot race where they just don't look like they have the bottle for it. They've played more games than these teams. They have three less points. If it was down to the two clubs from North London, who are you taking? I'm, I'm going to go with um, Bridges' old team. Uh, well, not of his old team. His team he supports. A team that you wish he called his old team. He almost got there, didn't you, Bridgie? Um, and, 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 and also nearly, the man... But I'm pleased about, you're going to say yeah. this. Uh, no, the, and, and I'm going to say that the man that Bridgie said got to sell him, get him out of the club, Harry Kane, is back. He's on fire, and he's been absolutely brilliant um, throughout the course of the season. I think you know Spurs have been playing really well. I mean, let, let's not underestimate the signings. I think um, Kuliseski, I think, has been absolutely brilliant um, since he came in January. Um, so I think Spurs just look like they're 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 in a really good rhythm, really good motion. And very tough to to stop at the moment. Definitely, Tommy. We saw some big results this weekend that we didn't expect, and one of them was at Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea took the lead and looked like they were cruising to a win. But uh, a few of your friends, one of them, Christian Eriksen, having probably the best two weeks in world football, an incredible run of form for him. Brentford running away four-one winners. What did you make of his performance, and what did you make from Brentford in the last half an hour of that game? Yeah, what what a week he had. Uh, obviously, scoring for Denmark had a, a, a great performance there against Serbia, and then yeah, again another great performance. And and I thought Thomas Frank got the tactics spot on. I think the way they outmaneuver out Chelsea in the midfield, just getting that three v two, getting Eriksen on the ball, I thought it was a, it was a tactical masterclass. Really, um, you know, they they have been struggling, but you know, we have to say since Eriksen got in the team, uh, they've they've been different. They looked to be struggling yeah, a, a month and a half ago, and, and now 
you know, they've certainly turned the corner. And I think this was a, tr you know, a, a, a massive performance for them. Uh, and again, Chelsea, they're just in a little bit of a rut at the moment. You know, it's a bit up and down. They can't really seem to, to, to get it working. And, and I think Tuchel's got a, a bit of a job on his hand. I tell you what, you know, you, you think about can one man make that bigger difference to a team? Certainly with Brentford and Christian Eriksen, absolutely incredible. That was the one thing that Brentford have missed, creativity. And then the question was, how was he going to slot yeah. in? How was it going to work? Because Brentford was based all on work rate, you know, that, that kind of hustle and bustle, closing teams down. But, I mean, Eriksen's been absolutely insane. I mean, it's like he's never been away. Yeah, it's like now that they have a they have that new dynamic to them. Yeah, you said they were a team of energy, but now they've got that creativity, that player that can take set pieces, can slow the game down when it needs to be. They're looking very good. We've got uh, all three English clubs in action in the Champions League midweek as well. City, Liverpool playing on Wednesday morning, and then Chelsea on Thursday morning. Before we move to those two giants of English football, Schwartzy, back to you for Chelsea. Is this just a small blip in the road? They play Real Madrid at home midweek. And can you see this season potentially going off track? They're still in the FA Cup. They're still in the Champions League. They're still third in the league. But what is a realistic expectation for Chelsea here? Well, if you, under normal circumstances, I'd absolutely say that Chelsea will pick themselves back up again and they'll be fine. Um, obviously, tough, tough games. And, and Real Madrid is, is not going to be an easy game whatsoever, nor is, you know, FA Cup semi-final it, it's going to be a tough old season for them and then add to the mix all the off-field issues around the club mm. um, that clearly for me is having an effect on the side um, having an effect on, on the way things are going um, but again saying it they have the players they have the squad there just seems to be a little bit of disharmony amongst the players now which I think is probably the first time and then, I mean not just right now it's been for the last couple of months I think and it's and it's the first time under Thomas Tuchel that I think he's really had to try and deal with it and and probably the one person at the heart of that at the moment is is there's always constant speculation about uh, Romelu Lukaku and what's going to happen and I mean I just saw um, you know coming out now just the other day about the fact that he probably will have to leave to have a chance Roberto Martinez saying about uh, about him playing at the World Cup and he needs to leave and play, have more game time. So it's another distraction, another uh, headline that around Lukaku that I don't think Lukaku needs and I don't, certainly don't think Chelsea needs. Yeah, yeah, they seem to be being brought into this media drama. Tony Rudiger scoring a fantastic goal, but of course he's been linked with a move away to Juventus most recently. Half that back line has been linked with moves out of Chelsea. So I think they've done a decent job of keeping it together. But yeah, there's potential for a crash here. Big games coming up. It's it's really fight or flight. Let's see how Chelsea go. Let's look forward to a huge game coming up on Optusport this weekend. Title deciding, some may say. Man City take on Liverpool. Bridgie. For years, people said, you know, the epitome of world football. If, if you're a new person in football, you sit them down in front of El Clasico and watch Barca against Real Madrid, watch Messi against Ronaldo. This is as good as it gets. Is Man City versus Liverpool now as good as it gets in world football? Well, it's got to be because the two teams are fighting for the Premier League on a, a season to season basis now. And the two managers are incredible. Um, very, very different in their own styles. And it's got to be up there. I mean, I just watched the old firm derby, watching Ange Postacoglu's team, Celtic beat Rangers 2-1. Um, that game was absolutely incredible. Again, came out the block. So that's another world classic that everybody watches. And this has got to be up there. I mean, the, the viewing figures from from um, Asia uh, in our parts of the world over here, because of the Liverpool fan base, and obviously in Australia because of Craig Johnson, and especially my region in Newcastle it's it's incredible and it's going to I do believe it's going to be a, a, a title contender whoever wins this one I think it's it's that important because I can't see them losing many games in the league because of the way that they've been playing and they've breezed past teams and they seem to be gathering momentum I didn't know how the the um the most Salah and Mane situation would go in is Senegal and Mane have got a couple of things over Salah, but he just came back in and he got on with business. So um, it's going to be interesting to see and I'm really looking forward to this game. And Tommy, when we look at these two teams, uh, Liverpool up against Man City, they're, they're still playing for so many trophies. Liverpool, of course, already have one under their belt this season, but City and Liverpool, they're still in the FA Cup. They're meeting each other in the FA Cup. They're still in the Champions League where the tree draws them potentially meeting in the final if they win all their games. They're fighting for the Premier League title. But do you think when you look at City as a club and Liverpool as a club, their top, top, top priorities are different this season? Would you, would you think it's fair to say that for City, that priority is the Champions League, whereas for Liverpool, they'd love to equal Man United's record in domestic football? 
You know, I think there's there's still that cloud over Man City to to win the Champions League. Um, and and again, I think that was what Sheikh Mansour said when they took over the club. That was the ultimate goal. Uh, but 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 mm. you know the, the league and especially with Liverpool, they know how much is at stake. So I think the mentality there is <clears throat> every trophy counts. Uh, the Premier League is as important, and I think for the fans, the Premier League is more important than the Champions League. So you know they're they're not going to take anything uh, lightly. Uh, but again, I think with that game against uh, Atletico mid midweek, you know that that's again a, a massive massive uh, game for them, probably bigger than than it is for Liverpool. So, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. Schwartz, when we look back on this era of two dominant teams, in fact, Liverpool on the weekend went 10 straight wins, and it's the fifth time they've done that. The only club to ever do that is Man City. So these two are sitting in a, in a realm that's really never been played in before so consistently for half a decade. When we look back here, let's say Man City get that European trophy. They get a Champions League crown under Pep Guardiola, and Liverpool get another Premier League title under Jurgen Klopp. When we look back, which of these two do you think will go down as the better Premier League team? Um, I, you know what? I think it's such a difficult one to answer because I think we'll look at it in 10 years' time and, and, and be forever debating as to whether or not one or the other is the best side. And I think it's, you, could, you could probably say, okay, lay your trophies on the table and, and there, we, there won't be two dissimilar sort of uh, tallies of trophies. The only difference will be what type of trophies. Um, I think for Man City, the key is winning the Champions League, like you guys mentioned earlier on, if they can win the Champions League trophy and, and kind of break that duck, who knows what will happen moving forward. Liverpool have obviously done it on a number of occasions. Um, winning the Premier League title, they've only done it once, as it, as it stands right now. Um, but to equal the overall top flight titles would be pretty significant, pretty remarkable. Um, I, I will debate it forever, I think. Mm. Two amazing sides, two amazing managers, and everyone here at Optus Sport, I guess everyone around the world is looking forward to this game. We know how much it means. This is what we live for. Um, these players must be feeling it. But when we break down these two teams, what, what we need to look at is the guys at Optus wanted to put together a combined 11, right? And they wanted, they wanted because every time the Gegenpod tries to either pick between players or put together a combined team, we open it up to the public. We get absolutely slammed. <laughs> and we love it. That's what it's for. It's for the discussion. So I thought, let's rattle through this real quick. If we had to pick a combined 11, who gets it? I'm going to start with yeah. you, Tommy. Looking at the two keepers, I mean, they, they're used to fighting for their positions for Brazil. Who would you pick? Uh, again, I, I was sitting, I had a debate with myself. Uh, you know, they're both, as you said, great keepers. But, but I'll probably pick Alisson, um, just because he's a little bit more steady. Um, Edison, again, the athleticism, uh, athleticism is off the charts, and, and but he has that sort of, you know, just sometimes uh, he, he can do <laughs> weird things. I know Alisson has made a few mistakes as well, but, but I think he's just a more steady and he's come up big in, in big games as well. Um, where I sort of, you know, looking back at the Champions League, he, he was immense for Liverpool. Edison, he's still missing that moment, I think, in the Champions League. So for, for me, Alisson um, is the number one. Alisson, number one, Bridgie. I'm gonna. Well, I mean, Schwartz is down there, and he's the other goalkeeper. So I probably should ask his opinion here. Schwartz, are you happy with that pick, Allison? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got. I've got a full team, and I picked Allison as well. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, he's, he's got Allison. Let's go to Bridgie for two defenders. Bridgie, you can choose any two defenders you want from these two teams. Give me two of them. I'm gonna take both fullbacks on this one, and I'm gonna go with Liverpool. Trent Alexander-Arnold as the right back. Um, you know, I think Walker for City's more defensively capable. He's got a bit more pace, but I'm an attacking player. I want that service into the area, and I just think Trent Alexander from free kicks, corners, and his deliveries into the, into the box, the assists and goals he gets, magnificent. I'm taking him. And on the left-hand side, I was thinking about Robertson. Obviously, he's another powerhouse for Liverpool, but I'm going to balance it, and I'm going to go for Cancelo. I think he's been absolutely magnificent this season, especially he's gone to whole new levels. And every time you see some of the play, that's his start. He's he's one of the catalysts behind it. Unbelievable. So statistics. they're they're my two fullbacks. He's, he's yeah, they're through. His numbers are through the roof. So for Trent, you've, you've selected Trent. If you got to sit down and have a coffee with Gareth Southgate, would you want Trent to start for England over Carl Walker? Yes. Okay. Mm. Wow. Well. Okay. Uh, interesting. We've gone Trent on the right, Cancelo on the left. It's hard to argue with that, especially the offensive output of those two. So let's go two centre-backs. Schwartz, I'm going to come to you with the midfield. So, Tommy, I'm going to come to you with the defenders. Let's go. Two centre-halves. Who are we going? 
Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say if, if anyone has a different back four than we have, I'm going to have a fight in the backyard with them. Uh, <laughs> Van Dyke and Diaz in the middle. Um, and, and that is an absolute outstanding back line. So um, okay. that's, that's the ones for me. Very hard to argue with our team at this point, but a man who loves a bit of controversy is sitting there over in Austria. Schwartzy, <laughs> give me two midfielders. I'll give you two midfielders to give me. Hang on, we've got to decide what formation we're playing first. We've got oh, to go 4 there, 3 3. Uh, no. So in Australia, we have a curriculum here, mate. You, you can only play 4 3 3. Yeah, thank you. Good. As long as we've clarified that. <laughs> All right. Schwartzy, who's in our midfield? And Bridges, and Bridges are coach in Australia as well. God help us. Um, aligned, with, aligned with the uh, curriculum <laughs> yeah um, I think for me it's pretty simple in, in one of the players is Fabinho um, certainly in Holyfield I think okay. I think he's been absolutely outstanding I think he's an outstanding player um, I think Liverpool I think I think a lot of people got to realise how good he was when he went from centre half he was in centre half position and Liverpool was struggling without him in midfield I, I think he's brilliant um, and then I'm going to say I'm going to leave an easy one for Bridgie because I see him shaking his head. So I'm going to leave that one out. I'm going to say another one out. I'm going to say Bernardo Silva. I think he's been excellent as well. Okay. He's been a revelation, I think, for the last season or so at, at Man City. Bernardo Silva has been phenomenal. It's almost it's, it's interesting when you look at this team because when you look at the midfield on paper, it's often tempting to just lean it towards Man City, especially when you're looking at these players. Bridgie, you were shaking your head. You don't think that there should be a Liverpool player in this midfield? Well, I don't want to upset and rock the apple cart here, but I've got City's midfield, all three of them, and then I went for all three of Liverpool's attackers. So I balance it that way, and I thought Rodri would be my pick in that defensive midfield unit over Fabinho, and the other one, I totally agree with Swartzy, was Silva and De Bruyne. So I'd have my little defensive midfielder would be Rodri, and then it would be De Bruyne and Silva going and supporting the front line. So, um, I, listen, I don't think it matters who you throw in that defensive unit between him and Fabinho, but I just love to argue with Swartzy, and I think Rodri is more of a, more <laughs> of a balanced player in that position than um, Fabinho. He found that position by default. Well, that's it. We, we don't like to... Uh we don't like to sit on the fence here at all. And so Schwartz has gone Fabinho and you've gone Rodri. I don't think anyone's argued with the other two, but Tommy, you can settle this one. Who's going to play in our Gagan pod holding mid? Do you go with Rodri or do you go with Fabinho? I've got Fabinho. Goalkeeper's uh, union. Yes, uh, for sure. Uh, all the way. So Fabinho, I've got him nailed here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thomas. Yeah, Bridgie. Shock horror. Shock horror news no alert. Clue. <laughs> Keep friends. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll give you the front let's, three. Let's go with the front I'll give, three. I, 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 okay, oh, you can no, do that. No, but I'll give you the front three. That's, that's cool. <laughs> no, 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 no. Bridgie already gave it. Bridgie already gave it, didn't he? And, I, and I'm agreeing no, no, with him I, for a change. Uh, oh, I'm not. But, I'm not. And I, I'm, I'm surprised Bridgie, his I main not. man. Who, the, oh, the one who's he's been hailing for I don't know, three years. Phil Foden. What, where's he? Yeah, I'm leaving him out, mate. I'm sorry. Okay. He's, he's going to be one of my super subs. I'm not okay. having him. Right. I've gone. Okay. The, 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 I think the debate is here. Here's one for you. So I've gone Salah on the right-hand side, Mon in the left-hand side like they do for Liverpool. The one I was struggling with is the number nine position. What? And it's either Jota or uh, Firmino, and I don't know which one to go oh for. Oh, my God. You can only pick it's Jota. Gotta, it's got to be Jota. Come got, on. I've gone Jota. Well, there, there you go, Yeah, right? I've gone Jota. There you go. Thank yeah. you. Just, yeah. There you go. Sorted. Yeah. Yeah. He's... Okay, he's I, I just think, you know, the, the, the argument, yeah, but the argument with regards to, um, um, oh, what's his name? I can't even think of his name now. Firmino. Man City. Who, Foden? Firmino. Tommy just mentioned him. Oh, it's yeah, Phil Jesus. Phone. The thing about Foden, no, the thing about Phil Foden is, I, I think he's a, obviously he's a phenomenal player, right? But I don't think he's quite at the same level this season as possibly last yeah. and also not mm. as at the same level as, say, Jota. Or Mane or Salah. I, I just don't think he's at that yeah. same level at it, the moment. It's absolutely frightening to think that we're not even talking about Sterling and Mores in this. <laughs> but when I, when you look at the goal scoring charts this season, it was just incredible to see Liverpool 1, 2, and 3. And I think that just solidifies why we decided to go for Salah, uh, Salah Mane, and Jota up there. Mm. Well, when you when you look at these two teams, they're both you know going for that. Well, I got that quadruple, mate. We're going to win all four. We're not going to win all four, right? There, there's so many good teams in world football, but potentially if we put this team together, Allison, Cancelo, Virgil Van Dijk, Ruben Diaz, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Fabinho Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne in midfield, Mane, Jota, Salah, 
that is potentially a team that could win the quadruple. But the biggest question, who would manage that team? Thomas Sorensen, would it be Jurgen Klopp or would it be Pep Guardiola? No, I must say I'm, I'm a big fan of both, obviously, but but I just love Jurgen Klopp. I, 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 love, I love the humour. You know, I would love to be in that dressing room. Uh, Guardiola, yeah. he, you know, sometimes he talks in riddles. Uh, you know, Klopp... <laughs> Uh, he just seems to be straightforward. He seems to be a, just a great guy. And uh, Tommy, he's actually just come out and said, "I overthink games in the Champions yeah, League." Yeah. He's actually admitted yeah. it. Yeah. So for, for for that reason, I would. Yeah, but you one. know what he said? He said it facetiously. <laughs> he, he said it facetiously, didn't he? He was joking, wasn't he? I'm just googling what that means. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> So Tommy's vote is Jurgen Klopp. Do the other two agree with him? I'm taking Jurgen Klopp. I, I you know, speaking to Jordan Henderson and um, his, his take on Klopp was he's the loudest man in the club. <laughs> like behind behind the scenes, he, he's the one for a bit of banter, a bit of trying to keep the lads energised. And, and the reason I respect this man as well, I love his, his interviews. Um, and, you know, having not met him personally, it's one of them guys you would love to meet. Um, and I think you would run through a brick wall for him. But I admire him a lot more than Pep Guardiola, as much as I've got so much admiration for Pep and what he does. Barcelona wins things, goes to Bayern Munich, wins things, goes to City, wins things. Now he's gone to three very, very um, unbelievable clubs with history, and he's gone there with, with money as well. Klopp has come in to Liverpool and taken them year on year and got them further and further and developed them. And they've, they've, what he has done that no manager has ever achieved was to win the Premier League with Liverpool. And the pressure is absolutely immense. Many have tried and come close and have failed. And when he got them over the line to win the Premier League and the Champions League and the way he embraced himself with the Liverpool fans and the faithful and the cop, I just think it's an incredible job. And I admire that more than what Pep Guardiola has done at Manchester City. Wow. Schwartzy, do you agree with that? He spent money as well, though, right? Yeah, of course Klopp. he has. So yeah. he spent money. Yeah. But I but I think what he's done really well is he spent money, but he spent it really wisely. And he's yeah. bought absolute bargains. You look at Salah, you look at, even though at the time when he bought Vir- Virgil van Dijk for, what is it, 75 mil? Everyone was like, really? And, I mean, what a player. Um, so, you know, I think the list goes on. You could probably go through every Liverpool player that they bought. Even even Jota, you know, was it 35 million? I mean, it's a, it's a bargain. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Diaz now looks like an absolute bargain as well. So he's done an incredible job, and uh, therefore I'm going with Guardiola. Guardiola. Ah, <laughs> no, I'm going with Jurgen Klopp as well. We got we got that an- yeah we got that answer in just at the end. He's going with Jurgen Klopp. It's a unanimous decision. Let's put him in. Jurgen Klopp would manage this team. I think that's going to be a big one for for the guys on social. I think they might rip us apart for that one. Pep Guardiola, of course, has won it all in a few different countries as well. But let's watch this space. Excited to see what all you guys say on our socials. Check out our combined. Now, before we move on from this game, it is huge city taking on Liverpool. I want to ask you guys, you've all at some point in your career been in title races. And and what's it like when you're getting to this point now when you're, you're late in the season, you've got maybe these rivals that are pushing you to the end. Is it easy to overthink it and to start playing differently or to start treating games a little bit differently? Is the best way to treat this just to play every game like it's, like it's the early games in the season? There's not that much on the line. Just go out there and do what you know, Tommy? Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, being... Top of the table, um, you know. I didn't manage, uh, you know, a, a championship run in in the Premier League, but but we did it in the Championship. And I think it, when you're there, you're in such a confident uh, mood. Uh, I think you just take one game at a time. I, I felt it was a lot tougher to be at the bottom of the table because you you deprive the confidence, and every every game just looks monumental and 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 difficult to win. So, you know, the mindset's it's different. And, I, you know, you look at these two teams, I think they're just one game at a time. And, I, and again, they haven't thought, you know, potentially a lot about this game at the weekend. Uh, they got big, big midweek. So for them, it, it, they'll turn up on, on Saturday and, and, and obviously <laughs> know that it's about the, 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 the Premier League. But, you know, they're such uh, confident sides and the managers won't allow them to, to, to think otherwise. So, so, so I think it's different. I'm going to say with with Leeds United, um, you know, I was there with Tommy at Sunderland when we when we went for that prem, uh, Premiership promotion from the Championship. Um, and after I moved to Leeds United, it was an incredible journey because we finished third that season um, in 1999-2000. But we were top at Christmas, and I still think to this day Harry Kuehl denies diving because he got a ten out of ten. It was a it was a blatant dive against Derby inside the penalty area. <laughs> 
Um, he still says that he got touched, even though we were on the bus watching Sky Sports News going, nobody's touched you there, mate. That was a blatant dive. Hart, Ian Hart stepped up, put the penalty where we were top at Christmas. And we were flying. We went out and celebrated, um, thinking that we'd won the league there. And we finished third, 22 points behind Manchester United, who won the league that season. Um, the pressure that we had, young lads had never been there and won it before. Manager that hadn't won it before. Didn't know the expectations and what was going on. We had a player and we had a manager in Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. Players that had won it before. Or won trophies before. They had a manager that won things before, and Manchester United obviously had a manager and a team that had won a lot of things before. They handled the pressure and the expectations so much better than we did. We we were like rabbits in the headlights come the end of the season. We're feeling the pressure, uh, and that's why between these two teams, I can't decide what's going to happen because they've both been there. They've both got managers that have won it, and it's just going to be a joy to see how it plays out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Of course, that one is live here on Optus Sport, along with all the other Premier League action. There's plenty of football coming your way. And we've got the Matildas in action twice in the space of a week. So to really talk about this, we know that there's a Women's World Cup right around the corner on home soil. It's going to be something that we've never seen before. We had to invite a very special guest on, a former Matilda, to help us dissect it. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's chat now to our special guest of the day. Amy Duggan, former Matilda, joins us to chat about the Matildas, which are in action on the back end of this week up in Townsville. And then early next week in Canberra, they take on New Zealand twice in the space of a week. Amy, firstly, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here and also excited for the games to come. Yeah, huge games. I think there's a there's a real buzz when when the Matildas get to play and I think it's so so interesting to play two internationals. We've seen this many times now, play two internationals against the same nation twice. Do you like this this I guess this theme of playing the same country twice? Does that really build a bit of rivalry or is it more of like playing a 180 minute match to really play with the squad experiment a little bit is that the reasoning for it i think the reason for it is uh geography in the first instance and obviously the windows are quite short so getting more than one team in is quite difficult and to fly right across the world for a single game is is tough so we play back to back for multiple reasons but also so we can have a look at the opposition we can try different combinations we know what we're getting the second time around and we can see the improvement and benchmark that um, it's also always really super exciting to play New Zealand because obviously there's that trans-Tasman rivalry. Um, we beat them at the Olympics, so I'm sure they'll be looking for some revenge in, in that sense. Um, but also we're joint hosts of the Women's World Cup next year, so it'll be really great to have a good hit out against them. And some of their stars are also familiar to our Aussie fans because they play um, they play in the W League or, or the Women's A League as it's branded now as well. So, you know, it'll be a wonderful spectacle for the, for the fans. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. I know the boys have a lot of questions about the Matildas, but I wanted to talk a little bit about New Zealand because I feel like sometimes here, you know, we, we, we can occasionally be the, the big brother, the big sister a little bit and forget about New Zealand. They're, they're joint hosts of the World Cup and they've come such a long way in their football, both in the men's and women's. We've seen that at the Olympics as well. What, can we, what have we made of that team so far and what's their expectation going into this World Cup next year? So obviously they head up the Oceania area now and uh, have qualified and um, it'll be great to see them. Well, they would have qualified anyway, but will obviously qualify. Um, it'll be great to see them and some of their stars like Hannah Wilkins, who obviously Wilkinson, who played for Melbourne City uh, in the A-League women's this year and, and scored a, a bag full of goals. They'll have some of their old stars back, but I think you'll see a few fresh young faces in that squad um, have come out of the Wellington Phoenix who debuted in the A-League women's comp this year. And as I said, uh, uh, fans will have had a little taste of some of those players. Look, they're ranking clearly not as high as Australia. Their expectation, um, I, I think, will just be to win a few group games. They do have a great coach. They've had Tommy Samani there for a couple of years setting up the foundations for them. Gitka Klimkova is there now. Uh, we had her coach, Canberra United, here in Australia for a little while, so we're familiar with her too. Um, 
it's a tricky one, right? Because Australia doesn't want to lose to New Zealand, but it will be a tough battle. It's always close. And Amy, coming on the back of obviously the disappointment with the Asia Cup for, for the Matildas, how do you see this period? Um, is, is it a time to now try to you know, get some new players in? Is it time to, to sort of solidify the team looking, you know, if you're a, a year out from, from the World Cup? How, how do you see this period and these games? I think these games are super important for multiple things, for confidence, for introduction, for style of play, for testing uh, formations and players. We've had a few of our Matildas obviously come off a pretty intense period over in Europe. Uh, some of them will only fly in obviously last night or today, um, so they'll have limited time with the squad. We've had a few of them sitting on the bench over there too, so they'll be looking for some minutes in the legs. Um, I think you'll see a mixture. I think they'll come out fairly strong and want to win and, and build some belief. Um, I don't think that that loss, while super disappointing, has rocked their belief too much, but I think they need to build uh, into that. And um, I think we'll see the we'll see a couple of our younger players who've joined the squad, uh, hopefully get some minutes under their belt too, because obviously it's important for them to, to have those international minutes under their belt going into major tournaments. Amy, I was interested to know in 2019 when I was at the Women's World Cup, it was my first major tournament watching the women's game, and what struck me the most was the attention around the game, how it's developed, how it's evolved, and particularly around the Matildas, and having watched them play at the tournament, never quite felt they reached the, the levels and the expectations that everyone, I think, thought they would. Is that due to the exposure and not being able to deal with it possibly mm. at the beginning? And how have they evolved since then? Do you think they're now better equipped for it heading into a World Cup in Australia where we thought 2019 was big? 20, you know, 2023 is going to be monumental in terms of exposure. Yeah, and the pressure and exposure on a team in a home World Cup is, is unprecedented to anything this team will have ever experienced. And I think um, Australia will be shocked by that exposure as well. I think the big a challenge for the Matildas here is that expectation and the expectation of the fans to always do well and the expectation of this team to be world beaters um, because we had some really great results and obviously our ranking was up to fourth at one stage and you know we beat the powers uh, of the USA uh, during just before that period as well. Um, obviously there were some issues going into the Women's World Cup including um, the change of coach and, and a, a, a shorter preparation. We won't see that this time around hopefully. Um, we will be ready to hit the stage as you know from the plans that I've looked at and, and playing a really diverse range of um, playing a really diverse range of opposition is, is a part of that and you've seen that over the last uh, 18 months but can they handle the expectation on the world stage and, and millions of eyes on top of them and actually put put goals away? I think they're struggling with that at the moment and I think it's something that the team is working on. They're aware of it and they're working on it. Um, I know Tony Gustafsson has talked about changing the word expectation to the word belief and instead of saying we're expected to do this, it's like we believe you can do this and uh, I'm hoping that that change of mindset helps everyone, our fans included, uh, see this team reach their true potential. Amy, watching a lot of European football recently with yourself on the highlights and, and all of us bringing the latest news and you see Spanish football, particularly in the women's game, has just been incredible recently. Italian oh, yeah. football going uh, fully professional next year. The WSL here on Optus Sport is incredible as well. Um, looking at the Matildas results, though, over the last year, two years, I've noticed we, we all know what happened in the Asian Cup and there were positives to take out of that as well. We've seen a lot of their friendly matches mm. against the USA, against Brazil, now against New Zealand. But I was having a look at their most recent results against European teams. And there was, you know, uh, the, the loss to Ireland, the, the draw just before that as well to Sweden, loss to Denmark, big loss to Germany, big loss to Netherlands. It seems as though the European teams seem to be the trickiest one for the Matildas. Do you think you should be playing a few more games against European opposition? And are they now the benchmark in world football? Uh, I think they are at the moment. I think there's dark horses, like you, you mentioned, like Spain, who um, are still on a growth trajectory, but Jorge Vilda's got them fine-tuned at the moment, and we're seeing that in their local league um, on the park. Uh, yes, we have struggled against European opposition, but we hadn't played them in the many years before that, and we certainly hadn't played top 10 nations to really set the benchmark for ourselves. Uh, I think we played a, a lot of um, the same sort of opposition over and over again, and we got very good at that. And uh, what Tony has done is be able to expand the different styles of play that we're exposed to. And I think 
think that's a good thing for all of our girls. Um, the, the other nations are coming, you know, thick and fast. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And Australia needs to dig deep to, to catch up. But they are playing, our players, in those best leagues in the world, being exposed to those players um, and those styles of play, most of them on a, you know, a daily and a weekly basis. And that can only build strength. But I would love to see us um, come back up against some of those European oppositions and, and see improvement next time we play them. Brilliant, Amy. You'd have to say that the expectation of the Australian public, I've, I've noticed the expectation is we're going to win. We're going to win a World Cup at home, right? That, 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 is, that is the expectation of the broader public, maybe not the most educated expectation. Would you realistically say that, you know, to make a quarterfinal finish or to at least beat our best finish at a World Cup would be a little bit more realistic? Uh, look, I'd love to see them win and I would cheer them the whole way <laughs> to the top chords. Uh, realistically, I think, you know, we're, we're what are we, 15 mm. months out from a World Cup and we need to keep in our mind where our Matilda's sit rankings-wise, where they are um, realistically uh, results-wise, and what happens over the next 12 months will be really, really important towards that. I'd like to see them go a little deeper than quarterfinals. My expectation, you know, it would be to see them at least in the semis, and from there anything is, um, anything is possible from there. Uh, we're all in the same pitch, and it's just a matter of who can put them away on the day then, I think. But, um, yeah, the expectation of the Australian public is huge, but this is one of our most loved brands, um, you know, across Australia and now becoming world-recognised. And I think with that recognition comes that expectation. Like I said, I'd just like that to turn into belief for this team. And um, I hope that the crowds really get out to Townsville on Friday and then Canberra again on Tuesday night and cheer this team on to a win and, and let them know in a, a little less tense situation just how much they loved. Yeah wins i think that's what everyone wants everyone wants some wins now for the matildas amy thanks so much for joining us we all look forward to the women's world cup we're counting down which will be of course live here on optus sport and a little for what i mentioned about those european teams i think we're all looking forward to the euros which is just around the corner that's going to be a good indication of what our competition is going to look like right amy yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't wait for the Euros either. Some big names on the stage. They've all been scoring bagfuls of goals for, for club and country um, and for the public to get a better look at some of our opposition come 2023. What a treat. Brilliant, Amy. You're one of the busiest women in Australian football, constantly doing something. And when you compare that to Mark Schwarzer, who's just skiing or on an <laughs> island somewhere, you guys live two very different lives. So I appreciate taking the time out to join us, Amy. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. John Aloisi, can we replicate those scenes from 2006? People want more, and to, to replicate that, we need to get through the group stages and go even further, so then we're creating history. I remember walking into the stadium in Stuttgart and having a powerful sense of the history of that moment. Now we are in, underway in Stuttgart. How incredible is this sport that at, on this one stage, it can tell such a powerful, unique, incredible story. Its potential, where it could go, if it could shed one or two things and embrace one or two others, are just so much about football, says so much about Australia and vice versa. The amount of people dancing on the street, Federation Square going off and, and you know, just the people uh, having fun. We realised then that actually this could unite a country. The hospitality, the friendliness, the sense of community and all of that, that all comes back to football. It's a community and you know parts of Australia, white Australia, there, there's, there, there never has been a community. It's completely lacking. And I think that's when we'll see that we are changing people's opinion that we're not just a, a, a you know a sport that you know yes it's well liked here in Australia but it's not the number one sport until then I don't know if we are going to replicate that football belongs nine matches that explain Australia a big thanks to Amy Duggan for joining us but we, we, we speak about the Matildas we also need to speak a little bit about the Socceroos now we went into it in depth last week I don't want to really really recover everything again but the reason I'm bringing it up again is because we had a lot of questions we remember that we had a lot of questions and and a whole lot of comments most of which I couldn't read on the Gegenpod because I had some colorful language but people sharing their opinions their frustrations with the national team a lot of questions came in for Schwartzy of course being the most capped socceroo people wanted to hear your opinion of it uh, you were probably off skiing or surfing somewhere in the world as you do so often last week this time we have you back finally and I want to ask your opinion on the situation you sat down with Ange Postacoglu recently we watched that interview here. Graham Arnold is a man under intense pressure. The board came out and publicly backed him last week, but 
it was it was a little bit of a muted backing. It wasn't the most. Uh, they didn't do a great job. They, they probably could do a bit more acting classes. They didn't do a great job of coming out and showing like they really believe in the manager. Are you happy with the decision from the FA to stick with Graham Arnold on the road to Qatar 22? Am I happy with the decision? Um, <clears throat> listen, I, I think continuity is often key. Um, there's so many things that we need to take into consideration. Obviously, the performances, the results are the ultimate goal, and they haven't been good enough, certainly over the last four or five uh, games for qualifi- for direct qualification. So they've ended up where they've ended up because in the end, that's where they deserve to be. So the big question is, do you make that change? Do you actually say, okay, we've got qualifiers coming up, two one-off qualifiers, if, if they were to progress past UAE, of course. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but certainly it's one big qualifier. Um, would, is it the right decision? I, I think there's a number of factors. Financial, the FA's position, who could they bring in to replace him? And if I would think, I would, I would assume the FFA would have already spoken to people. Because that's just a normal process, right? When when a manager is struggling, they will already be sounding people out. So maybe the person who's their ideal uh, replacement is not up to taking it on for these one-off game for this one-off game against UAE. Um, so there's there's so many factors that need to come into it. But if if we talked about clearly not qualification, not direct qualification in the playoffs, it's kind of a job-ish done. Not done, but you you've you've reached a certain point. You're not out of it. So he's still got a lifeline. So you, mm. I think you give him the benefit of the doubt for now and you allow him to continue along that path. The players, again, I, 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 we talked about this before, the players, no doubt, you would think, well, I would hope the FA would have spoken to some of the players, some of the senior players, finding out where they are with it, how they feel with the manager. Are they behind him? Is, has he got the group still? Has he lost the group? I would like to think that that is all taken into consideration before any decision is made. Um, so now, now this is where the buck stops. Now, so this is it. Everything's on the line, and unfortunately, the the end goal or, or the the failure is monumental. If if it, unfortunately, if the worst thing were to to happen, um, mm. and I'm certainly worried, of course, like like every other probably Auss- Aussie fan. Um, yeah. What worries me is people. Are completely against the manager and that's going to make it a little bit more difficult for them but the only thing is the games are away so they're not in Australia so they've got a little bit of breathing space but they've got to get the job done Fantastic! Mm. if you ever wanted to run in Australian politics Mark you got a pretty good you're looking pretty good for it that was a great answer from you um, you really broke down the situation without telling me whether you're happy or not but I will come back to you on that because Hindsight is a beautiful thing. Ange Postacoglu, yes, it was a little bit different, you could say, but we were in this situation four years ago. We did have to qualify via the playoffs four years ago. We did make it. And so when we look back on that World Cup campaign, I guess there's a positive spin to it and a positive spin to Ange's last few months in charge of Australia. But do you think that this type of criticism was around when Ange had to qualify through the playoffs? And if not, is it the style that Arnie plays? Is it the players that he has at his disposal? Why is it different this time? No, I don't think the plays are that different. I mean, I think the core of the side is still pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a different manager, different ideas, different tactics, and that's clear. I don't think... You know, I think I think the criticism of Graham Arnold, certainly in the last couple of games, is the, the, the cautiousness, the, the, the sense of being... knowing what's on the line and the players feeling that pressure. And I think not not being able to express themselves, not going out there and performing on that level for whatever reason that is, whether it's to do with the manager, whether it's to do with the pressure that's been put on there, whether it's to do with the tactics, that's all open for debate. And I think that's the biggest concern in that regard. But you're right. Go back to, to with Ange. There were games there, drawing away in Thailand, you know, dropping points at crucial moments to, to, to that, and that will put them in a position where they end up being in the playoffs. They stuck with him. I don't think there was ever even a consideration of, 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 of getting rid of the manager mm. back then. So I, I think it's more about the way in which things have turned around with with uh, the team right now and the manager. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's, it's... I think for Graham Arnold, um, the scrutiny is certainly intense. And I think it all, it all stems back to what I believe Michael Bridges had a discussion about last week 
about how he potentially got into the job in the first place and all the noise around it and all the euphoria and all the the um, the build-up of, of attention and, and, and the push for a change in manager. Um, mm. And I think that's also comes back to bite you when things don't go well. And I think that's what's happening now. Mm. There's There's even more scrutiny on him because of what happened four years ago. Well, we'll be watching it closely. Australia go to Qatar in June. They play, of course, UAE, and then followed by Peru if we manage to get through UAE. And, and what, what worries me as a fan is when I watch South American qualifying and Peru scrape their way into fifth spot, but it is an absolute celebration. The, the, the stadium goes mental. They see the players off because they got to the fifth spot, whereas for us it's like a punishment that we have to go to a playoff, and that kind of hurts. Is that a concern, Schwartz? Don't get ahead of yourself. We're not there yet. We've got UAE, and the way we're playing at the moment, we're not even going to get past the UAE. So that's got to change. The mentality's got to change. The, the, the approach to the game has got to change. Otherwise, we won't even get past the UAE. So forget about Peru. Yeah. The focus is all about UAE, yeah. and they've got to get past them, and they've got to improve their performance dramatically to do so. See, the wise old owl, the wisdom came out from Swartzy there, where he's got the new young pup, you know, full of full of um, excitement, and he's looking ahead, you no, know? No, no, no what, what I was trying to say there was the difference in mentality that we have to go to a playoff, it's like a bad thing, whereas they, the whole country celebrated that they qualified for a playoff. I dare say, I don't know too much about the UAE, but I dare say they would be celebrating this achievement as well, that they got to the playoff state to go to a World Cup. And that positivity sometimes can be the difference. But incredibly, if we do get through, okay, Schwartz, if, <laughs> if we get through the UAE and we do play Peru, and if, big if, we were to beat Peru, right... We would then play Peru, Denmark, and France within the space of five months again, just like we did in 2018 because they've done the draw. That's the group. Tommy, as a Dane, Denmark, France, looking at potential to have Australia in their group as well. Uh, are you pretty happy with it? Yeah. Um, again, you know, there was a big sort of discussion in Denmark. Everyone's like, oh, we don't want France, you know, blah, blah. They're the best team. And But you're looking at that top uh, you know, top seed layer, even, even Qatar. I think, you know, they've got two months to prepare you know they're playing at home. They'll be, you know, they'll be gunning for it. So they're they're, they're going to be difficult. So for me, the you know France, whatever. Um, I, I think you know we we have to beat Tunisia, uh, and then mm. you know, <laughs> again on paper, Australia, Peru. That's going to be the that will be the final game. So that that's going to be the decider. So and I would love it to be uh, the Socceroos. Uh, you know. Again, to to be able to celebrate two teams in one group will be uh, amazing. I'll obviously wear my Danish scarf in that game, but but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> Wait, do you want them there because you want Australia there, or do you think that's a more likely three points? <laughs> he wants it there for the three you, points. <laughs> <laughs> He's just scared oh, to you see called it. Me out. You called you call me out there. Man. You called me out. <laughs> uh, two politicians uh, on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it was it was exciting it was exciting the World Cup draw and, and it, it did feel also familiar when we saw Group D get drawn Bridgie there's been a lot of noise about made about England's draw and the fact that that looks pretty good I've, I've started to hear the murmurs of people mapping out the road to the final USA soccer in the group stage are you happy with the draw? Do you know what it is? I was absolutely mortified. We touched on it um, oh, about a month ago, the arrogance and the egotistical approach of of England and the fans and the media. Um, I know they can really come down on the team, but straight away the draw was done and then mapped out the path to the final, who they would play. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? Anything can happen. And especially when we don't know if it's going to be Scotland, Wales or the Ukraine with everything that's going on there, who is going to mm. join the group? Um anything can happen against Scotland and Wales because basically both them nations hate England and really want to try and do one over on them. Um, Iran, totally, you know, expecting the three points there, but it's an unknown, never played them before. Um, I mean, the Iranian coach came out and said, this is our dream dream tie, dream group, mm. because England are there. We mm. watch the Premier League, we love the Premier League, and um, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see in the USA. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> I don't know what to expect from them. Um, yeah. 
So it's listen. It, it should be an easy group. I think it's yeah. it's it's an easy group that you would consider for England because of the players and the way um, Southgate and the team have gone about their business. But at World Cups, anything can happen. Mm. And I've been an England fan for years, and I'm not going to start saying it's coming home this year. Like everybody's got carried away with. I'm going to be very very diplomatic this World Cup, and I'm uh, just going to sit just, and enjoy it and wait, not get carried away. Just wait to the quarterfinal. You'll be singing it. You'll be singing. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sing it at all this year. I'm telling. And after a few he, he points, the group stage. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I'm looking he forward to? Though? I know the World Cup's coming. Yeah, all oh. right. There's a, there's a quick turnaround from the Premier League into this, or all the leagues into this World Cup. It's going to be very interesting to see how the teams do. I mean, normally off the back of a season, they talk that the players are a bit underdone. They're going into these mm. tournaments um, underdone and England have got, don't have the, the winter break. It's going to, this, I don't know whether it's going to play a major factor in helping some of them players and them teams that are going through midway through the season. I'm hoping it's going to really impact and help England. Mm. There's been a lot of noise made about the other continents as well. Asia would have played a full season come the World Cup. Will they perform differently? Africa yeah. are used to taking a break mid-season to play the AFCON and also used to the warmer conditions. So maybe we might see better better performances from those other continents. My only word of advice would be to your fans, uh, when you do play against Iran, don't t don't touch the goal nets, don't, don't run on the field, don't do any of that. Uh, even if you are winning the game, just stay in the stands and let the players do their job. Um, Schwartzy... When you're at a World Cup and when when you are looking at the group stage draw, do you start mapping out a road as a country like Australia? Do you start mapping out a road? Oh, if we get through, we play these guys, or is it is it really just one game at a time? No, we look at it and go, how can we get out of this group? Is it even possible to get out of this group? That's what we're looking at. Um, you're looking at the draw, being excited about who you're playing against, and yeah. I mean, uh, looking at getting any further, you kind of go, okay, right, let's just set this all out. Let's get through this group. Let's find a pathway. Um, the other interesting thing I heard you, you say earlier on about being excited to watch the World Cup draw. Really? Were you actually excited watching it? I thought you were still drowning your sorrows, mate. I thought you would have been like turning off and not watching anything, Claude. I slept like a baby right through it, to be honest. I did not wake up for it this time, which is very rare for me. Um, yeah, no, I was happy to just check it in the morning on Optusport. Oh, what was the groups? I asked. cool. Um, but look, if if Iran do get pinned for for what they're talking about, Italy could be back in the World Cup with the highest coefficient. So we may see you in November. And if that's the case, we all know what Denmark did. Are you are you for 92. real? I, I, are you are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Honestly, are you serious? Hey, I'm just I, I'm not I'm not making it up. I'm just reading you the news. Okay, that's that that's the latest news that I'm reading. You read into it as you will. Desperation's what you need. Yeah, and he's not he's not even feeling bad about it. He, he would take it. <laughs> no, you take it, mate. You take it. Uh, as the Uruguayan said, it's the oh, it's their divine on, right to be there. Right, it makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> no, but it also makes sense because Infantino said. <laughs> He was almost crying when Italy didn't make it. Yeah. So obviously they're finding a way of getting Italy to the World Cup. FIFA would, even though they can't qualify themselves. Yeah, FIFA wouldn't do something like that, would they? Would they? <laughs> let's <laughs> let's just leave let's, it there and move let's on. Move on, Tommy. Uh, I got a question for you because I was wondering. You look at the World Cup draw and you see all these players that potentially will be playing against teammates of theirs at a club level, but now they're split on the international mm. stage. You've been to a few of these major tournaments with Denmark. Has that ever happened to you that you have to play up against someone that you're good friends with week in week out for your club? Yeah, no, it definitely happens uh, at international level. I, I don't sort of recollect a, a World Cup. I think we we played. Uh, Cameroon um, and there was a, a player Mboma from from Sunderland um, but yeah not not in a World Cup but it, but it, again it, it just puts an extra you know an extra dimension to to these games uh, you know because you know how much preparation it goes into it how, how important it is and how, how big an occasion and and then to stand across from from someone that you you know you've uh, you know, you, you, you share, obviously, club uh, duties with and, and potentially uh, dinners and everything else. It, it, you know, it's, it, it can be quite mm. special. But, but again, when the game kicks off, you know, you, 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 sort of, you look after your own yeah. business. Uh, it's more sort of before the game and then after you have a few laughs or <laughs> a few cries yeah. uh, about it and, uh, and then you move on. 
Yeah, Schwartzy, actually, I wanted to ask you, because Australia, every time we're at a World Cup, there's always so much noise made about, I remember in, in 06, even in 2010, but when we play against Italy, it's like, oh, Bresciano, Grella playing against the motherland. You know, we played against Croatia. It's like, what about all these players, Zeko Kalac? What about these guys playing against Chilina? Uh, did you feel anything when, when we played Germany in 2010? Did, did you feel, did, did that game feel extra special? Did you feel any different nerves because you would have grown up supporting Germany in World Cups or was it just another game for you? No, I was desperate to beat them. It was like... Um, excited to be at the World Cup playing against the, the likes of Germany, but I was desperate to try and beat them 100%. Um, unfortunately, we got absolutely smacked, and, and it was it was a terrible performance. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but um, going back to what you, you know, you're talking about coming up against teammates in that World Cup. We played against Ghana, and Johnny Panzer was playing for for Ghana, uh, Fulham teammate of mine, and he actually went off in the game because he broke his nose. He was actually half concussed, so that was a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke with him afterwards. Out that, <laughs> yeah, we, we I remember I remember copping a few red cards that World Cup, a few controversial reds, but uh, yeah, that first game, that first game against Germany wasn't the prettiest. You guys did definitely get better after that, though. We're excited for World Cup time, whether Italy are there or not. Let's hope Australia can can go all the way and give our country something to sing about. But you know that even if not, like we saw during the Euros here in Optus Sport, everyone here in this country has another nation. Everyone has a grandparent that came from there or whatever, and everyone has an allegiance when it comes to the World Cup. It's such an exciting time of the year. We look forward to it, guys. And uh, before we wrap it up, I want to take a quick little Europe trip just to look forward to what we've got coming up this week and some of the biggest storylines from each. And uh, we saw on the weekend Barca move up to second place. What a goal from Pedri. Just shimmying in and out, dancing with defenders, smacks it into the bottom corner. You talk about Spain at the World Cup. He'll probably be leading that country as a teenager. Bridget, how excited are you to see this kid get better, as well as Javi, who plays next to him? And are they on the level of the Mbappes and Haaland's of youth football or not quite there yet? Well, the only reason they're not on the same level is because they're not goal scorers and they don't score goals on a yeah. regular basis. But if you put him in his position, Pedri, and you talk about Maz the in the same Stature as Mbappe and them. I'm putting yeah. him up there, mate. This kid during the world was it the uh, Euro. Euros or the World Cup? Euros. When he, mm. Euros, man, blown away. The stats that he put, he was putting out, absolutely mm. incredible on a, on a world stage. All right, you can do it, and you can you can have seasons where you stand out domestically when you're playing for a club mm. like Barca. When you go on a world stage and you are dancing round and playing other midfielders, world class midfielders off the park, and he's gone back again and he's backed it up this season. So I'm putting him up there with one of the best in the world in his position at his age. And you know, Xavi, the coach, must it, it, both of them, Xavi, think and I can impact this kid's career and help him along because what he's doing at Barcelona since he's come in the immediate impact but just think Pedri's going oh my god I am going to learn off one of the best like the it's like it's like Yoda turning up to your training ground <laughs> you know he's like a jet, this Jedi warrior just turned up and he's going to say I'm going to give you my my keys and my tool and my master class it's just it's going to be brilliant <laughs> that's fantastic I know you're a, you're a Star Wars fan deep down inside that is a brilliant reference Bridgie well done uh, Tommy let, let's chat a little bit about there's a few big storylines coming out of the other European leagues the Italian Serie A AC Milan dropped points this morning so it's now within one point between them and Napoli dreaming of their first title since Maradona there was a funny storyline though during the week Mourinho's on a bit of a win streak with Roma he's flying at the moment <laughs> and uh, he comes into a press conference as he so often does and he steals the spotlight because a journalist who's been giving it to him a little bit uh, behind the scenes and on a radio show he came in and he was very polite to him and he asked him a question about the game and he said I'm surprised you're not shitting yourself here in front of me when you run away on the radio it's a lot easier to speak but when you come in here you have nothing to say he really just put this guy on fire right there in front of everyone else in the room and, and he had nothing to say have you ever had like that experience with the media have you ever had those those particular people journalists maybe that are just targeting you or your team and you just the boys look at each other and go we got beef with this guy here does that happen <laughs> Ah, yeah, we used to have a, a couple with, with the Danish team. Uh, just, just uh, you know, old, you know, they've been hanging around for years and years and years. And, and, and you know, like over years, you, you know, they, you know they, they're set in their ways and they, they're potentially another keeper. I remember when I sort of took over, the, there was a, an old journalist. He loved Peter Smichel. And, 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 and it, took, it took me about five, five or six years just to convince him. He was always, ah, man, you know. And always, like you know, trying to compare. Now nah, it wasn't what Peter used to do, and, and I just, like, I was just standing there, and I, just, I was just waiting. I remember I had a good game against Sweden, uh, and then I, I gave it back to him. So uh, yeah, it, yeah, it certainly happens. And, and yeah, <laughs> love, love Mourinho when he's in that mood. You gave it back to him. What'd you say to him? 
No, I'll just say, uh, you're not missing Smichael now, are you? So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Well done. When footballers bite back. Schwartzy, uh, we finished our Euro trip over in the German Bundesliga where, let's be real, the season's done, mate. Borussia Dortmund at home. First time signal Iduna Park was packed in two years. And they got battered at home to RB Leipzig. What in the world happened there? What are they saying over there in Germany? Just typical uh, Borussia Dortmund again, just throwing it away. Get themselves in a decent position, and ever since they get themselves in a decent position, they they fall away again. They they just drop points. Um, really, yeah, just really disappointing. Um, there's still ongoing in, in Germany. There's you know Marco Rosa's move across, even though they are second, they're still quite a bit away from Bayern. Um, he's had a bit of an up and down season in terms of yes, they've had an unbelievable home record, but their away form has been pretty average, um, and that's been their biggest problem this season. Um, so yeah, it, it's been practically a, 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 a one-horse race, even though Bayern a couple of times has slipped up um, and seemingly opened the door up. Um, but again, overall, they, when they when it comes down to the business end, there's no way Bayern's going to lose the title from now on. Um, they, they're going to win it, and they, they'll deserve it because they, they are yeah. clearly the best side. Swartzy, I think the record of goals is 101. And it is by Munich's record in that in that um, Bundesliga. They've got eight games to go. I think they're on eighty nine at present. Can they do their own record? Um, they are on eighty five actually. Um, yeah, hundred percent. They could. I mean, Lewandowski's there. You know, they've got the players to do it. Hundred um, percent. Will they do it? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I probably would say no because of. Um, the likes of you know Champions League football and and so on. So I don't, I just don't think they're going to do it. But they've got the players. Hmm. Well, it's it's an interesting weekend for the rest of the Bundesliga. Really, with RB Leipzig will be taking on Hoffenheim. Probably have the chance to almost secure Champions League football. Take nothing away from them. They've been brilliant in 2022 and they've gone to another level uh, under the new manager as well. So guys, we have so much football to look forward to this week. I'm sure we've got so much to talk about next week on the Gegen Pod. We've got Champions League midweek, of course, Europa League back. We've got an A-League Grand Final rematch as well tomorrow. And then it goes into the weekend, which is headlined by the biggest game in world football. It's here on Optus Sport. It's Man City taking on Liverpool. You'd think almost for a Premier League crown unless someone lets that slip afterwards you never know it's happened before so that's why we love football so many storylines coming your way and we'll be back next week to dissect it all here on the Gagan Pod thanks Schwartzy Tommy and Bridgie for joining us we'll see you all next week